I was 22, did a management buyout, learned a lot about contracts, about how to structure deals, how to create cash flow. And that was a big moment. It was fantastic. I think looking back at it, we didn't understand the severity of how it could have gone. So we yeah. had a lot of debt at this point. So talking the tune of maybe like 400K. Yeah. If, if that would have gone wrong, so a lot of people will think, I need to start a brand because we want to be a millionaire. Yeah. But all we thought was, actually, how do we create a brand that pays us 5000 a month? I don't think people think like that. It was just brilliant. It was just fantastic. It did 1.8 million in its first year. Yeah. Uh, 11 in its second year and just short of 20 in its third. Do you know what, what looks really amazing? When you put a m- massive EBITDA at the end of the year and it goes on company's house and the, the real people that actually matter see that data. Danny, thanks so much for making some time. Absolutely be buzzing to, to talk to you. I, w- I want to dive into how you got here, what the Danny Buck origin story is. For, for people who don't know you, you basically run the biggest men's jewelry brand on Shopify. You did maybe something like 20 million in revenue last year. There's the story or the stereotype of like the kid on the school bus selling sweets and all that kind of stuff. Were you that guy or like, where does your journey start? Does it come from your parents? How do you get going on this kind of road? Cause it's a road less traveled. Most people don't yeah. take it. It's a good question. So I started, I don't really like the term entrepreneur, but like I started selling my own things when I was five. So my dad used to take me to car boot sales and that was just a way of making a little bit of extra cash. We would go to car boot sales, we'd buy things uh, which were cheaper and then try and sell them on our stall. And this was every Saturday morning at half five we'd get up and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I remember once I bought some baseball cards and I was reselling them individually. I learned a lot about buying and selling through there. So it was obviously buy something for cheaper and then sell it for more like that as a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, like going through it was amazing experience. That was like pure training, but my dad had no idea he was doing that. It was just something we did for maybe 200 pounds a week. We would get from yeah. the back of it and he'd give me like, I don't know, 20 quid or something like that. And I was, I'd go off buzzing with it. One time this guy, I was on a car boot stall and my dad would just every now and again, he'd just leave me to go to the loo. So he just left me and we had this Hoover and he said that if anyone comes sell us Hoover for 20 quid, I was like, okay. And this guy came up and he said, how much for the Hoover? I was like 20 pound. He's like, I'll give you 10 pound for it. I think I was about seven at the time. And I said, no, my dad won't let me sell it for less. He was like, I'll tell you what, if I give you 10 pound now and I'll go and try it, make sure it still works over there. And then if it works, I'll come back and give you the other 10 pound. And he did that. He got the Hoover, gave me 10 pound and he went and he never came back. <laughs> it totally fiddled me, this guy. And I just thought, again, like little lessons you just remember, like that was a negotiation. Like, how can I apply that like, little stories don't, like that? Don't but, trust anyone. <laughs> I just can't believe somebody fiddled a, a seven-year-old, but maybe don't use that. Yeah, <laughs> no. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like someone did me over. So when people talk about like where you're, when people ask me about my upbringing, I remember that for me. Yeah, that the yeah. car boot sales were definitely that. Yeah. Uh, I used to sell uh, wallets on eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd sell um, like leather wallets, which I'd buy from Thailand. This is whilst I was at university. Yeah. We'd sell wallets that you'd buy for about 10 pounds selling for 40 pound and then we had a few guys in the house where we were so this was the third year this was third year university and we were making like a thousand pound a month selling these wallets you finished university didn't you 
I think I did, but I didn't care about it. So I didn't try. So university for me was a waste of time because I started university when Facebook started in the UK. So it came around when I was in first year, the syllabus I was learning had nothing to do with social media at all. Whereas it was developing around us. So we had people on Facebook and I was getting taught about radio advertising when I knew that social media was developing, something was like coming together. They weren't even talking about SEO actually at this point. So the syllabus was that far behind. I knew what I was learning was irrelevant. So I, I took the fundamentals and, and yeah, I have to say, I didn't particularly think university propelled me forward. It set me back. Yeah. But when you did leave, you ended up in a job. I think it's quite interesting how you like quickly, from what I understand, like you quickly, you ended up in like a job, but then you quickly navigated your way to doing something that you were interested in again. What was your time at the agency? How did that evolve? Yeah. So I, I joined a, it's a software company, but they had a web development side to it. So it accounted for about 20% of revenue for them. So it wasn't their main, their main earner. It was actually my brother-in-law who hired me for a maternity cover for one of the uh, customer support roles. So that's what I did. When I joined, I realized the girl, which, which don't want to throw under the bus, to be honest, but uh, it wasn't a full-time job. So it took me two days to clear the tickets because there wasn't too many. Yeah. So then I started ask, asking for more work. I said, what can I do? Is there anything I can do in terms of sales? So they did that and I took over the sales side of it and we grew the company, grew the company. And I, I started just getting my, myself understanding the industry. It was website development and that, and I wanted to then bring a marketing side to the business. But the, the, the MD of the company at the time just rejected it. So I wanted to bring SEO. This was before SEO was mainstream. I wanted to bring SEO into the company. I had a business plan for him. I actually produced a business plan of how it would work, what people would need to hire. And the, the MD just said, no, they just said, I'm not interested in entertaining it. So I said, fine. I got a bit pissed off. He didn't even open the business plan. So I got pissed off and just decided, I just remember coming home to Amy, my wife, and I said, I think I'm probably young enough to give this a go myself. So I did, I went to Graham, who's my brother-in-law and I said to him, I'm going to leave. I think I'm young enough to give this a shot. And he basically said, I want to do it too. It took took me by surprise. I didn't think, I thought he was going to be a bit pissed off. I was leaving, but he he said, fine, let's, let's do it together. But he, he just, his wife had just got pregnant at the time, Amy's sister. So he was like, and he was on a, de- a decent salary and quite mm-hmm. comfortable. And he said, so I think I need to just work out a bit of a transition plan. So we did it over three months. Basically I built the company up, got a few clients, got enough for him to transition over all that sort of stuff. And then that's how it worked. So from that point there, when I handed my notice in and then Graham handed his notice in, there was, I think there was five people in the web division Yeah, and the MD basically just said, that totally fucks us up. Would you consider buying the division? So myself and Graham got bank funds and my mum and dad lent me some money. We got some, some debt from this body in Liverpool, basically as an investment fund. Yeah. There was like three, three forms of capital, all with personal guarantees. We didn't put any houses on it cause it wasn't really 
an option at that point. <laughs> but yeah, all personal guarantees. We'd have, we would have had to pay the money back. It was about 150 grand, something like yeah, that, yeah, between yeah. the two of us. I was 22. Like, yeah. all of a sudden, it's a bit bit like a, a mortgage. But we knew it would come off because basically the we had contractual revenue yeah, with, the, yeah, with, yeah. The, with the company. So we knew we had contracts in place. And the way that we structured the deal, the contractual revenue would pay for, for the investment. I was 22, did a management buyout, learned a lot about contracts, about how to structure deals, how to create cash flow. And that was a big moment. It was fantastic. Just wait, how can you ask for more? That, that no, sort of yeah. I think that's a incredible, isn't it? Really at 22, most people are just out of uni or they're even still there out on a Friday, five pints deep. You must've had good self-belief at that time, really to go through with that and yeah, just have the confidence, it, even the leave, even the leaving to, I'm not happy with this. I, I'm going to go and do it myself. Yeah. I think it, the, the big lesson in it was I realized I was young enough to fail. Yeah. So I had a word of myself and I, I, and understood that if it fucks up, I've still got an opportunity to go back into work. And that was a big thing. You can do this at any time. I could do it right now. I'm still still young enough to fail. I think, yeah. I think it's just having that, that confidence, not necessarily in yourself. I don't think it's like, it's an arrogance or an ego thing. It's more, can I recover from this? And I think that was it. I, I believed that I could. Yeah. 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 And then basically you end your work, you're running the agency for eight years and you get to a point where you're seeing your clients or you're seeing some e-com clients making lots of money. I think you've said before they're driving Ferraris and you're driving a, a Mercedes. Um, and you can start getting interested in maybe switching, jumping over the other side of the wall. Take me to that point and what your first steps are, because that is the beginning of what you're doing right now, isn't it? Yeah. So the, I thought the Mercedes was amazing, by the way, at the time, it was a great car, <laughs> Mercedes. Yeah. but yeah, so, so basically what was happening was we brought more and more clients on and what I forgot to mention was we specialized in e-commerce at the time. So we, over the eight years, we built e-commerce websites and then did the marketing for them. And some of these clients, they had five people in their in-house team and they were doing like 20 million turnover a year and they had us and they're paying us like five grand a month or 10 grand a month. Some of them, I'm like, oh, this is, this has got to be, this has got to be backwards. It just towards the end. I saw it happen more and more because we started, we worked with a lot of the fast fashion brands. Yeah. I just, and it was booming. It was a booming industry. And I just saw some of these brands get just skyrocketing. And like the, you mentioned the Ferrari comment. So yeah, there was like, there was, there was one guy who had a Ferrari and I knew that yes, this person was great at products, which is something that I really un, under underestimated before going on the retail side, but. I assumed with the right marketing strategy, you can polish a turd basically yeah, and, and, yeah. and went with that mentality. And to be honest, in that time, you probably could, you could yeah, get away yeah. with some, some shit because people just believe it. They'd see, mm -hmm. they'd see it on an influencer and they would buy it. I don't know if you remember like these, like black face masks and all these mad toothpastes and yeah, yeah. some, some weird cream that had come out, but, and they would sell. Yeah. Have so, this look, look, have this look like this. Yeah. That kind of, vibe. yeah. Yeah. And it would work. So yeah. So we did that. And I just thought to myself again, like so similar to the moment where I, what it, I left the software company, I got to the point I was like, but this was eight years. This was a, this was a good term. I'd done my training. I'd learned loads about other people's businesses. And I just thought this is the time to look at maybe doing my own brands. 
and that was it. And I thought, how can I do that? I'll set up a company which can create almost like an, an in-house agency for its own brand, because yeah. that, that's what I understood. And that's where uh, brand builders come. Yeah. Come out. And the idea for brand builder is basically to build multiple brands within an agency and the agency serves them all, right? It was. So the idea was we'll create five to 10 small profitable brands and then create a, a deal flow of, of basically selling them at one by one after. So basically it might take three years to get one sale, but then after that, there's a, there's a bit of a rhythm, but then crafted came along and totally took everyone by surprise. I mean, circular was the first brand started, wasn't profitable, had to rejig it a bit, had to change it round. It's become profitable now in uh, sunglasses space. Honu came, came about and that went profit profitable straight away. Crafted was more than profitable. It was just brilliant. It was just fantastic. It did 1.8 million its first year. Yeah. 11 in its second year and just short of 20 in its third. So yeah. it's, okay. But which is brilliant. So that, that our philosophy of building small profitable brands went out the window with crafted. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting though, because that approach of having the multiple brands, I know you've said in the past, like it's a headache and you shouldn't do it, but at the same time, it, it is giving you the ability to make mistakes with one, not repeating with another. Yeah. Cause starting circular, I think you've said yourself, like you made mistakes with it and you also had this big headache of the agency deal going awry. Yes. So when I decided to leave the agency, I sold my shares to the board. So it got, this is another reason I fell out of love with it because it got quite corporate as a company. We had a board, so shareholders board and then an operational board. And then there was a lot of hires going on all the time. People leaving all the time, just like constant turnover of staff. It's just like a very people driven business. Uh, a couple of the shareholders, like advisors and like kind of the boards that we, we had were corporate. And it's just not my, my style. I just don't like it. It's, it, you know, it's, it's like a timekeeping thing and you have to be in certain times and just not how I like to work. So yeah, that, so I sold my shares back to the board. We started circular. I'd put a, a chunk of cash into stock. It wasn't turning a profit, but the goal was to keep income coming in from the sale, so the share sale, and then put it back into the brand. So that was the idea. But then in January 17, I think it was, or 18, 17 or 18, the board basically put the old agency into administration and chopped my sale. I only got one payment. It it was just an, uh, yeah, just an absolute uh, nightmare for us. Left us totally skin, left us totally negative in equity. We had to look at re refinancing loads of things, try to get rid of my car, but I had 10 K in negative equity on it. So we've had literally had to pay 10 grand just to get rid of it. Yeah, it was, that was tough. We basically, we had some points on a credit card that we changed into vouchers for a for supermarket. <laughs> so we got vouchers. Oh God, I think it was like, you could go Sainsbury's Tesco yeah. all, and we just, uh, yeah, that's what we did. It's not funny, <laughs> is it? But is that, is it, it, it like we're laughing now, but that, that, that sounds like a pretty low moment where you've oh, left it, your business, you think you're going to, um, end up with a decent kind of, uh, payout. You've started a new brand. You're super excited about it. You've got a plan for it. And then it all comes crashing down and you're printing off vouchers to shop at Sainsbury's. Yeah. I think 
looking back at it, we didn't understand the severity of how it could have gone. So we yeah. had a lot of debt at this point. So talking the tune of maybe like 400k. Yeah. If if that would have gone wrong, and we had to get we had like myself and my wife it was we had to get go and, and get jobs. That would have taken a long time to pay off. Yeah, a long long time. There wasn't a quick way out of it. We we just had to finance a few things. We had to get a couple of loans, refinance old loans, just stuff which is distracting you from the business. Mm. Uh, and then, yeah, we we just we cracked it when Honu, which is the second brand that we launched, female jewelry brand. It just clicked with that one because yeah, we, just, we decided like, what what are we really strong at? Myself and my wife skills. So she's great from a customer experience, developing like the kind of operation of a, an e-commerce brand. That's what she's done in the past. So what are we really good at? So if I can do the marketing and she can do the operation, it's two people there. How much money do we need a month? I think we worked it out. It was about five grand to cover like loans, credit cards car bill, uh, car payments, mortgage, all that sort of stuff. So, so we need to net 5,000. So can we do this under the VAT threshold? Can we create a brand that comes in under, I think it's about 75K and profit 60K. So we worked it out from there. How do we do that? And that, that's how Honu came about. So it was like, we got the idea, it was jewelry. We knew it had okay margin, but we wanted it to be quite a low price. So it was an easy impulsive sale. We could do it on social media, like Instagram, basically, and email, so free channels, bit of influencer marketing to boost it, all this sort of stuff. And we got there, and basically, uh, from the day we launched it, it was profitable. So we started, that. that's how we did it. So a lot of people will think, I need to start a brand because we want to be a millionaire. Yeah. But all we thought was, actually, how do we create a brand that pays us 5000 a month? Yeah, yeah. That's... I don't think people think like that. It's very hard now. Now Facebook ads, as of like today, now Facebook ads is gone. But you can create a brand that will will do a hundred under a hundred k, and create a wage which is probably more than a lot of people's salary by doing something super niche. Ours was sea turtle jewelry, basically. Um, so super niche, and you get to a, a place where you're happy not making it big. And that's what we did. So we just, we, it kind of brought us right back. Cause with circular, it was very different. There was a lot of ego in circular from me. I can show these guys, I can create a brand that's got millions of turnover. I didn't give a shit about profit. It was like, I can create a brand that's got millions and millions of turnover, but got it wrong, which is bad, really bad. Whereas Honu made more money than circular from the first day. Literally, as soon as it's got like a grand and it had made, I don't know, say 700 pound profit, that's made more than circular in the whole year. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting, isn't it? When you reframe it like that, I don't need to make millions. I, I just need to make enough to live a pretty comfortable lifestyle and have the freedom to travel. Yeah. That's actually a lot more appealing prospect, potentially. Some, yeah. a lot, you know, people, what are they craving? Are they craving being a millionaire, having loads of money, or is it just having freedom and not having to go to an office five exactly. days a week? Exactly. That was our, so our whole premise then started to change. So now we were paying off the, the debts and then we were like, so we're, we are free. We can go, we can do a, our own content shoot in Croatia. So we'd like, we'd, we'd book flights for Croatia. We, by this point, it was all, it was all fine because we were servicing the debts. So we understood that we had money spare. 
So we'd got to a nice place. We were paying all our bills, all our taxes. Everything was good. Like we were still massively in debt, but we had a plan to, to yeah. fix that. So we started to do this lifestyle of, in fact, this is how it came about. So I, we went to Croatia. It was for a wedding. Uh, it was my friend's wedding. We thought we'll do a content shoot. I'll do some content about how we're building brands whilst we're working remotely, all this sort of stuff. And that's how Brand Builder came about. So I, Honu was starting to churn, Amy was running it by herself. I couldn't do that much marketing because of the price point. So I couldn't do loads of Facebook ads. We did a bit uh, mm -hmm. Facebook ads, but it was on something called a cost cap. So it was basically like, here, here's £50,000 Facebook, go and get us sales for £2. Some yeah. days it would work, some days it wouldn't. So it was on like a super low, low budget, but it was, there was not much I could do with it. So I started doing consultancy and the consultancy I was doing was how you can build brands and work remotely. So we come up with this thing called brand builder plan. And this is all in the past now, but it was super, super helpful for me doing that consultancy because it was pure profit. Basically it's pure income. And uh, yeah, we'd like record whilst we were away and I really got a sense for how, how much I value my, my time, my freedom over the money. Yeah. It's a Tim Ferriss thing. Uh, that, what he says in his four hour work week book, it was like, we worked out what we needed to make our perfect life. And it was 5,000 a month. It was, that's what it was at the time. That's all it was 5,000 a month. So why do we need more? Why are we putting ourselves under uh, pressure and all this sorts of, why are we put external pressure to appear like we're doing well when actually for us to be happy, it's to go on holiday, to travel, travel wherever it, like Madrid, I think we went to and just places and drinks, drink lovely wine and all this sort of stuff. And from that, kind of uh, social media persona I was putting out, Alex Cannon, my, my crafted business partner, approached me and said, I'd really resonate with your values of freedom and it's how I want to be. Cause he was, he's a model and influencer at the time. And it just started a family and he was away. Whereas he felt, even though he, it was his own company, he felt he, he was working for someone because yeah. people were taking him away and yeah. He said, I want to start a brand and I feel like I've got an idea, men's jewelry and the space isn't really tapped yet. And I was like, great. Okay. okay. Didn't think he was asking me to be a business partner. I thought he was asking me to advise him. And he was like, so do you want to do, you want to do it together? And I was like, what? And he, he <laughs> said, he's like, men's jewelry brand. I was like, oh, like partners. And, I, and it was like, I was like, wow. Okay. I, I didn't, I thought you were just telling me there's an opportunity. You wanted me to do consultancy. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I think we could do it. So. There's footage of it somewhere, uh, but basically there's, I think, I think it's videos, might be some pictures, I have to dig them out, but Amy's packing Honu on one side of a box room in our house and I'm packing Crafted on the other side. Yeah. Me and Amy would go, she'd have a bag of Honu, would have a bag of Crafted and then we'd just literally take them and we made friends with like post office staff and it was great. It was when, it was that summer when... England was, it had like six weeks without rain or something. So yeah. we'd like walk to the post office in the sun. We'd get a beer on the way back. It was just a brilliant yeah. time. We still say it was like one of our happiest like summers together. Why do you think Crafted made at the time and still does it make so much sense? It's because if you look at, if you if I'm looking at the brand, I can see why, but I'm interested in what your thoughts were or what your, what Alex's thoughts were at the time as well. I think it's my experience and Alex's vision. Yeah. Coming together. So Alex is amazing at creating all the products and has obviously a ridiculous eye for creative. Whereas my experience in e-commerce and building 
an op an operation and a business and a profitable business and excluding the circular kind of education, which was great. It was just a, it's like a 400 grand course, basically. It's, it's been quite good, actually. I've had now circular's profitable anyway, but I've had profitable businesses all the way through. So I think it, my kind of eye for that, building a culture as well, a company culture, which is massively important because I understand what's what company I wouldn't want to work for. So I make sure that anything that I would like, everybody gets. Yeah. So if I want a holiday, I don't have to ask anyone. Yeah. I'll tell people I'm going away so they know, but I, I won't have to get it signed off. So none of our team need to get things signed off. They just need to let us know. The same with working hours. Nobody has working yeah. hours because if I, if I go, the, go and watch United on a Tuesday night and have too many beers or too many Guinness and I can't be asked working Wednesday morning, then I won't work Wednesday morning. It'd be pointless me doing it because I'll probably do poor work. So it's the same for the team like and everybody, everyone who's connected to the company, you you understand what you've got to achieve as yeah. a role, but if you can't be asked working for a morning, then who cares really? If it still gets yeah. done by the end of the week, it doesn't matter. They all seem to as well, like the brands, they, so crafted and circular, I'm thinking in particular, they both really stand up for the consumer in a way, like it's the quality of the product, the price point, they, in my eyes anyway, like they seem to have a respect for the consumer. They don't treat the consumer as an idiot. You Whereas I think if, if you look you at a got, lot, I was gonna say, you haven't got a business if you don't look after the no, business. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's, that's one thing I think you've done really is you take that side of it. Whereas I, I do think a lot of brands treat the consumer like an idiot, charge them these crazy prices for a product that doesn't actually perform. You can dress stuff up with a fancy campaign. And probably I think that's worked for a lot of people for a long time because what you would have had TV ads and you would have had people shopping in stores and it's really hard to start a business. But now the beauty yeah. of D to C is that you don't actually need that much money to start and you can live on the quality and the, the right price point and the right message and the right values. How, how, how have you like made your brands work in that way and, and prioritize the customer in that way? It comes down to, instead of viewing it as customer service, which I feel is reactive, it, we focus on customer experience, which is proactive. So we were like, how can we make the experience better for the customer rather than, oh, this customer's got a problem, fix it. And then this, you see the same problems coming in over and over, you do nothing about it. So we put the customer right in the middle, who is buying the product, why are they buying it? And then how do we make that experience better? And we just think like that, it's, it's, it is quite simple. We have, we have a a big customer experience team and it's our marketing if you think about it so it's we make mistakes like anybody would we say we have certain things like if a product breaks we'll we'll replace it whereas some companies will be like oh send me a picture oh no no we can't do that and they just they don't want to do they don't want to do it whereas for us we'd rather keep the customer look after the customer we can give refunds and stuff like that if they're not happy but we'd rather keep that customer so it's because we've marketed out we've got all these costs to get customers in we'd rather look after that person so that they yeah. they say they had a great experience and tell everyone about it yeah in terms of getting them in as well so there's a couple of interesting things i think we've crafted that you've done there's the ronaldo poster touch yeah. on that and also like working with conor mcgregor so how do you how do you end up working with conor, conor mcgregor Okay, so that's not me, that one. That was Alex, 100% Alex. <laughs> Everything was Alex. So he's 
just over time built some connections. He basically created the pendant, had connections with his, his best mate. So through networking, it was networking after like years and years, he got uh, an opportunity to create the pendant. He then made this whole thing himself, designed it all, then took it over to Ireland and was with one of Connor's friends. And he was like, do you want to meet him? And Alan was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he took it, literally just took it in, showed him it. And he was like, this is it. I've designed it. It's your family crest, all this sort of stuff. It was very personal. And it was, to be honest, it was done with the intention of not getting something in return. I think yeah. that's why, I think that's why it worked. Genuine. And yeah, it was genuine. It was purely genuine out, out of respect. I think he had a big fight coming up and yeah, he was just, it was, Alex had known his friends for a while. So yeah, it was just a nice, nice, a nice thing. And to be honest, the, the product is, so the, the crest that he made is phenomenal. It's solid gold as well. So it's worth a fortune as well. So, you know, that if we'd just gone over like a piece of brass or a little tin necklace or something, it wouldn't have worked. So we put, we put an investment yeah. into it, but yeah, it works and he wears it all the time. He's, he's, there's videos of him showing it, his, his kid and. It's amazing to see that now. Yeah, yeah. We might do some more custom stuff in the future. Yeah. But for now, you know, it's, just, it's about doing stuff with, for custom stuff like that, it's expensive for us to do. Yeah. So it's got to be for the right type of people. Yeah. Maybe for Rashford one day. Yeah. That or would, Ronaldo. Please. That would or be a good Ronaldo. Idea. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's try and get this podcast in front of Ronaldo and we'll make him a custom pendant. Yeah. Um, that is, there's a lesson in there though, isn't there? Like, about with working with people is and you see it with influencers it's easy to give someone some money to wear something once it's hard to give them something that they genuinely love and they're going to just wear yeah. that you don't even have to pay them to wear it they just wear it yeah it's dead it's dead in the water that game but it's just it's not just customers it's people on social are just they they're so savvy now they understand uh that what's being promoted they understand what's an advert that's why people are on tiktok because they got sick of being sold to. And I think you've got a bunch of influencers that now having to go over to TikTok, their following hasn't come over because there's not, they haven't got anything about them. Like it's, you need something about you to become a creator on TikTok. And I think it's the social media plays a better world over there. Uh, I do love Instagram, of course, like still, and I, I like where it's going with reels and things like that. But if you're an influencer, you really need to be someone who offers value. And that's it. I think gone are the days where you just, uh, have a high following and sell constantly to people. Yeah. I, think. I think there's a way, there's a way to handle that. Now you need proper relationships, pr uh, proper connections with your audience, offer value back. And then when you, when you are selling something to them, it's me, it's something you actually care about. Yeah. Yeah. One, re one really cool thing you've done with crafted was the Ronaldo billboard. Talk me through your thoughts leading up to arranging that and how it came to be. So. Uh, I, for anyone that doesn't follow me, I'm a big United fan. I have come from Stretford, just around the corner from the ground. So I just grew up, my granddad, my dad, everyone, my whole family, bar one City fan. So I grew up with Ronaldo, the best player I've ever seen. Absolutely obsessed with him. Everything is about, as a person, what he's become in terms of mentality, just a, probably an idol, if you want to say. So when it came about that he was potentially going to Man City, I didn't believe it. It's probably emotional. I didn't believe it at all. I thought there's no way this will happen. And I was sat in a beer garden with our marketing director and I was saying to her, there's no way this will happen. I think we should try and preempt 
if he does go back to United, I think we should buy some form of PR, basically something we can do PR. So just, I know some people who do the billboards. So let's do it. Let's get some artwork mocked up. And throughout, throughout the day, we've seen it change. It was Man City, it was up Man City, Man City, Man City. Oh, actually, Man United are interested. They're interested in City have dropped out and we bought it. So we bought it there and we were up against a, a big, well-known media company. And they were bidding against us for this space. And I'd already got the artwork done. I'd already, we'd already been in talks to get the space. So we just basically decided, said, what's it going to take to get these guys out of the picture? And we just go with it today. And that's what we did. And we just, we placed it. But because we placed it at 5 p.m. And he signed at 5 to 5, or it was announced at 5 to 5, it was up within minutes. We got the, we got all this press coverage. Yeah. So we got press coverage from the BBC. I, I went live on BBC in the morning. Sky News, uh, newspapers, MENs, all those people. And it was just brilliant for PR. It was brilliant because the messaging we use is all crafted. So again, crafted to last crafted. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like relationships crafted yeah. to last. So we use a lot about meaning in crafted marketing. So Ronaldo, for me, the way he's crafted himself and all that, it was, there was a fit and, and yeah, we did it and bang. Like off it went big PR, loads of links, loads of backlinks, loads of SEO, loads of PR coverage, got to go on the BBC, which was fucking scariest, whatever. How do you put, yeah, was... how do you put a value on, on something like that? Like a return on investment? It's impossible. I know, but what? We just don't. It's just, we just don't, we just yeah. don't. It's, it's, it's something we just, we class as brand campaigns. You could judge it over search volume increases. You could judge it on traffic, website traffic. So we do we anything that's not uh, paid. So imagine you've got like a, a bar and you've got paid spend and, and other stuff. It goes in other stuff for us. Sick. No, very cool. Very cool. What what is what are your thoughts on Facebook at the moment and TikTok? Like where it, it, a lot of people make out that it's it's Armageddon out there and it's like complete crisis times. It seems like a, a lot of people are struggling with it. How do you? Think about it. It's a mind. It's obviously a minefield. It's there's a lot of people um, struggling, which isn't nice. It's how I get asked a lot about what we're doing at the moment. So f for me, nothing's changed in terms of our marketing strategy. So our digital strategy is still customer acquisition, lifetime value. It's still messaging the moment. Still understanding who's buying the products and why they're buying them. It's just where they are might be changing. So previously, we could get to those people through Facebook ads. And now it might be through brand advertising. So it might be some form of brand campaign, or it might be working with a, a really relevant influencer. It might be all sorts. It might not be any of those things. Who knows where it's going to go? It's definitely make, making things harder for growth. And it's definitely making us think a bit more about who we are as a brand. But I think that's a good thing. It make it, this year particularly will probably make us a much stronger business. We've, if you look at this over, over 10 years, so for me, I've, I've watched the house of Gucci. So I watched that recently and the way that the Gucci family were thinking at the start, obviously it didn't work out too well for them, but <laughs> the way they were at the start was how do I build something for the next five years? How do I build something for the next 10 years? How, like, how do I think long-term with this? And I feel that. Facebook advertisers in the D2C space are a bit guilty of it. So they think in the form of how do I get sales now? I need to increase my revenue right now. I need to get more sales. I need to do this. And that's not, that's not how 
brands should be thinking. That's what dropshippers do. And dropshippers can make a lot of money and all that, and that's cool. But it's not, I want something sustainable. I want something forever. And I, I want to build the biggest men's jewelry brand in the world. I want to take on all the high street players. I want to be the biggest, the best. I want to bring value back to the community and not just sales. So that vision's always been there. But if you start, I've been guilty of myself. I've been like, oh, we need more revenue. Let's just turn our Facebook ads up. But it doesn't really work like that. If you do a sale, it doesn't work like that because you train a customer that you can buy it cheaper. So it's just, I, I feel Facebook ads, great. It's gone. But I've survived Google Penguin when um, you could buy links and appear at the top. The first round of Facebook ads before even Instagram ads were around. And now they're gone. What's next? TikTok email, brand campaigns, whatever. We'll just, we'll just keep going with our journey and make sure that customers know where we are, who we are. And I think that's our plan anyway. Yeah. What would, what's some advice you would give to a young Danny Buck at 18 year old Danny Buck, if you were starting again today? Aim for profit, not revenue. Focus on focus, focus on being small. It makes you a better business person by a long shot. Just make sure you're profitable. So there's too many case studies of businesses just losing money. You'll see it on Dragon's Den at the moment. They'll value the business at two million quid, and then they'll say, "What's your? How much money have you made? Oh, we've lost we've lost sixty grand this year. And what about next year? We'll lose a million. And you're like, okay, so who's doing this? Who's advising these people? And I get it with apps and Silicon Valley and all this sort of stuff, but I think there's too too much out there at the moment, which is about share your 5 million in a day revenue screenshot. Like it's, I've been guilty in the past of falling into the trap and it is ego. You want to look good in front of the community. You want to look like you're doing amazing, but do you know what, what looks really amazing when you put a massive EBITDA at the end of the year and it goes on company's house and the, the real people that actually matter, see that data. And that, that was a big change. when the, the Sunday times wanted to interview us because of our, our net profit percentage to turnover, which was the, the girl who, who the senior business editor of the times who, who interviewed me said, this is mad. This is actually mad how you're doing this. That was the biggest, that was the biggest compliment of all time for me, because there's businesses out there doing 50, 60 million and we make more money than them do it. I think it, this was on the, on, on around 15 million. We did almost 40% net profit. It's not because we're ripping people off. It's because we've got such strong repeat business. We don't have to reply, rely on high customer acquisition costs. We look after customers. We look after our, our team. It's, there's a reason for it. And I believe that's a better business than a 50 million turnover company. Yeah, you, there is market share and stuff like that, but it causes way too much stress. Yeah, yeah. Focus on being small. I think small and mighty. Yeah. Top three podcasts or books you would listen to or recommend? Top three podcasts, Diary of a CEO, the e-commerce influence podcast, and probably high performance podcast. Quite like that one as well. Yeah, that's good. Uh, then book, books, I would recommend Essentialism. It's one of my favorite books of all time. 80-20 rule and rework. Cool. What about people? top three people or companies that you follow, look up to? Ben Francis, George Heaton, and third, wow. 
Probably say my business partners. I think my business partners, yeah. Alex and Leon and Amy. I'd probably put that. It sounds a bit cheesy, I know, but I'd probably say them. Like that, I speak to them every day. I learn from them. I'd probably say them, yeah. But in terms of people in the industry, I quite like Jake Cassan as well from Movement. He's, he's always been really good to me, even though he sells jewelry now as well. But he's always been he's always been great. But yeah, Ben Francis is is fantastic. Yes, yeah. what he's doing is uh, is amazing. I think what George is doing at Represent as well is is great. Cool. Is there anything that you haven't been asked about before that you, you would like to talk about or that you think is important? Well, maybe fitness yeah, and business, maybe. So I compare the two a lot. Your mental fitness and your physical fitness. I believe as a brand owner, you go through a lot of, of strain mentally. And that could be stress over financial payments. It could be staff related. It could be that you're obsessed. Someone's commented badly on your feed and they've insulted you or all these things. But so I, I feel that side of it is not talked about enough. What actual mental strain you go through. And for me, I find getting myself in a good mood as fast as possible in the morning is vital to that. So I like to have a morning routine. I have my own time. I like to start with like a nice coffee or something like that, but do things on my own and distract, get rid of distractions. So notifications are off. Don't look at any comments on Instagram, all those sorts of things. Just ignore all, all of these things. Try and get yourself in the gym in the morning and, and own your own time. So I have do not disturb on my phone. I decide when to do meetings, try not to do physical meetings. I'll do phone calls. I don't know why everyone has to do Zooms these days. It was just like stupid sort of things yeah. like that you can eliminate. I think that's that time management and uh, and mental fitness, I think is a good one. Yeah, no, I think you're a good, I think you're the perfect antidote actually as well to a lot of the kind of get up at 5 a.m., meditate, do my affirmations, then do a four hour yeah. block of Zoom calls. What's the most expensive bottle of red wine you've bought? I've got three bottles of Petrus. I've got one Romney Conti actually that I bought as an investment, which is stupid buying one because I'm definitely going to drink it. But I, uh, so that it's, yeah, it's, it's not the main Romney Conti, which, which is about 25. It's their second one, which is Natasha. I've got three bottles of this one, this Petrus 2000 and 2000, sorry, 2000 it is yeah. Yeah, 2000 Petrus. And that's, um, Deep it, that one's into the five figures, yeah. but it's an investment. So yeah. that's, that's what I invest in. I don't invest in houses or I do the brands obviously, cause that's what I know, but I don't do NFTs or Bitcoin or yeah. anything like that. No, I should consider it, but I don't, but for me, I know wine. So I buy wine, invest in wine. Yeah. And worst case it loses all its value. You can drink it. So that's it. Yeah. Great. So this is a flawless <laughs> plan. <laughs> Last one. What's the end? What's the end goal? What's your end goal? It's always been freedom. So however, that is interpreted by me at the time. So right now, freedom for me, I'm living the life I want to live. I can go on holiday whenever I want, decide not to work tomorrow. If I don't want to, it's freedom. Yeah. Freedom. So if in 10 years time, I decide freedom is a yacht and sailing around the world, I'll, I'll need to sell my businesses for a good chunk of money and get a yacht and sail around the world. It's, I think that's it. It's the end goal is fluid. Yeah. It's yeah, fluid yeah. around freedom. Yeah, it's got to be. Nice one. All right, let's wrap it. Let's wrap it up there. It was good fun. Thank you.